0: Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm Phil from Shop Notes with a couple of special guests today. I'm joined on this episode number 174 by creative director Chris Fitch and a special guest from the far reaches of Connecticut, Ben Strano. He's a multimedia extraordinaire, Lord High Star Commander, I think is his official title. He's going to be joining us today. We're going to be talking about digital woodworking. And especially as it relates to Chris's launch of his Mark II version of the CNC machine. So you want to stick around for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you to tight bond. You want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately, tight bond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance. Look to Titebond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit Titebond.com. All right. Welcome, fellas. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I understand that this is how I feel, uh, we're all kind of gemstones but we present and see each other in different facets. So
1: this has gone way deeper than I thought it would right yeah. off the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I know both of you from, let's call it an analog facet in one sentence. Uh So Chris does uh, automatons and whirly gigs and folk carving and it's, basswood and knife cuts and textured edges. And Ben, I've seen you as a ukulele maker where it's fit and finish and all that kind of stuff. And yet here both of you are on another facet as a uh, kind of digital CNC kind of woodworking nerds. So can maybe, we'll just start with you Ben what was it that got you started into kind of the CNC realm so
1: i've always been a tinkerer like i you know my 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 past career was um was a recording engineer and, you know, I started in Nashville studios on huge analog consoles and everything. But I was one of the first ones who like, everybody was like, Oh, that kid really knows. And at the time I would, everyone said that kid, um, that kid really knows how to run the computer stuff, you know? And, um, I was the one who went around and taught everyone how to use pro tools or whatever software we were using at the time. I've always been into technology. Um, but you got me really thinking about this, and I'm wondering if, if it's the same for Chris, because I am also very into efficiencies. And I think that my mind always tries to find, if you are if, if you're going to do something 2,000 times over the course of two years, and you can shave a minute off every time you do that thing, it's going to add up to more shop time and more work done and whatever. And even though I'm a hobbyist, I consider myself a professional hobbyist woodworker, um, I'm always looking for efficiencies and I take joy in finding more efficient ways of doing teeny tiny things. And yes, most of the time I spend more time affecting those efficiencies than I do, (laughs) than I save in the end. Because that's that's part of the algorithm for me that's part of the, the the math is is oh can I find a way of doing this more efficient and if I went into production mode, this would pay off eventually um, but part, you know I everybody spends time in their shop doing what they enjoy and one of the things that I enjoy is making my shop efficient and my work efficient and um, that's what that's part of what gets me going so yeah okay chris
2: well i I really hear what you're what you're saying ben because i know uh you know for me before i came to work here in the magazine woodworking was a profession and so it was all about getting the job done not to not tomorrow you know today now because you get paid today and that's a lot better to come home with a check in your hand so the efficiency is amazing, but I think the exactness, too. Sometimes it's okay to be more freeform. Sometimes it's okay just to cut something because it's good enough, you know, plus or minus a quarter. But sometimes you just want things to be dead nuts on. I think part of it is wanting to control my world a little bit more. And that's probably a bad sign. You know, there's a therapist out there waiting for me. But, you know, it's sometimes you just want things to work out just the way they ought to. And the CNC machine allows you to do that. You can set it up and you can get repeatability. You can get things that come out the way you really expect them to, time and time again. And there's a place for that. Now there's a place just for whittling, you know, away and being relaxed and not worrying about things too much. But I think that's, you know, that's that's the whole beauty of the craft we're we're in. You can go either way, can't you? And so for me it's it's um, for someone who's not very I've never considered myself to be very electronically, uh, I, I, you know, I just got a smartphone a year ago. Okay. Does that tell you anything? (laughs) But, but I'm basically a curmudgeon, maybe a bit of a Luddite with those things. But, but I I have to say there's just a, a beauty in that exactness. There's a beauty in the control. There's, I'm amazed at the options that I have. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just opening up another universe. You know, it's, uh, It's stepping into the portal, the space time continuum, all that kind of stuff. It really is. And that's amazing. Okay. So would you say then, uh,
0: you know, there's for a a tool to be something that you go to that's more than just a problem solver or something that you've tried out once and then just kind of set aside, because I think we've all made those kind of purchases. it has to get you, or you have to get it in a way. So, what is it about, say, the CNC router? Because I know you did that as a design for a project for the magazine, Chris. Like, mm-hmm. but what is it that gets you, or that you get about a CNC? Like that, just it just makes that natural connection.
2: You know, I think I just adore the complexity of it. And maybe that's not a good answer, but it's just there's a level of understanding and a level of depth that you have to go into it and it never ends. You just keep going and going and you get more of that, you know, the more comfortable it is, the deeper you can go all the time. You know, it's like some guys, you know, they can they can spend a whole lifetime making boxes because they're always finding something fresh and new. And I think that's the way it is with the CNC machine. I, You know, after years and years and years of, um, you know, circular saws and things like that, I found something that just—I'll never find the end of it ever. Okay. Always a new material. Always a new technique. Sure.
1: So uh, for me, I think a CNC is fairly simple, though it's like that's why it's just a router moving around in three axes. Now, how you do that can be complex and and multi-layered and all of that stuff, and it just—it's like. There is nothing different about a CNC and a well-crafted template and a router table with a bushing and, you know, a flush cut or a, a flush trim bit. And it's just, it's, it does exactly what you want it, what you tell it to do. And that's it, you know? Um, I, now, now, for the record, I consider myself a baby with the cnc i am um i would say well probably about 10 years ago i built a cnc kit small one like a little 11 by 11 cut area it's a shapeoko 2 or whatever um and you know a little makita trim router and that's it um that I used for a while and then we moved and it just never really got set back up again. Um, now at, at the fine woodworking shop, we just got a next wave and, um, it's been, it's been an experience and it's been one of those things where I find myself using it more than I thought I was going to, but I still, since it is at, at, the shop at work, which is, you know, just 10 miles away or whatever. um, I do find myself still reaching for and thinking I am a huge fan of a 3d printer in a wood shop. 80, 90% of the digital woodworking I do is 3d printer based where I am using it to make templates. I am using it to make um, little bushings or tools or whatever. And for me, if I had to pick between the two, no question. No question. 3D printer. Okay. I I I it's it's not and just strictly as a woodworker, it's it's not even in in the calculation which one I would pick. It's it's okay. a 3D printer. Because there's something and and this is kind of a little passion project of mine, but I think that there's something so beautiful about the fact that somebody can buy a $200 3d printer and a $20 roll of filament and download files and make these things from all over the world and make these things that make your shop time more enjoyable and, and better. And I think that that is so like important to all stripes of woodworkers and i love cncs they're expensive and it's definitely not something that i think every every person could have in their wood shop whereas a 3d printer i think everyone can af- not everyone can afford it, that's a stupid statement but most woodworkers can afford it and i think it would make most woodworkers happy to have it if sure. if they accepted it into the reality okay and and also i'm sorry one one more thing there is a thing about you know, a CNC is is mostly a two D object, right? Or a two D tool. Um, you're you're cutting for the most part to two and a half D. You can do three D things with it. Ninety eight percent of what's hap what happens in the, all of the world CNCs is two D. Whereas a three D printer, there is plenty. It's it's trivial to add that third dimension into a jig, and when that becomes an easy to do thing, a easy part of your world, you find yourself doing it all the time. Like right now, I've, I just made uh, a a jig to uh, trim um, uh, ukulele braces right to two millimeters perfectly. But there's a little step down so that it notches into another jig that I have. There's you know, it is a three D element. It wouldn't have worked as well if it wasn't three D, and I wouldn't be able to do that with the CNC as easily.
2: All right. Well, that's got interesting. Like a... I, You know, I've got a little 3D printer as well, but it's a 5x5x5 it's a, it's a five by five by five format. And mm-hmm. so I've never really started using it for, for workshop things because I always felt it was a little too small. But I might have to bring it in here in the shop and actually give it a little more thought now. You know, I do like your point about it being a very democratic tool in the sense of, of less costly. Because
0: mm-hmm. I know that you've shared, uh, Ben, in the past, was it like a little bevel gauge for the lack of better descriptor on it for work with paper plans. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think after researching, um, the tool would be called a transfer bevel. Um, and, uh, um, what is the, what's the hand tool manufacturer started in Seattle, move to, uh, move over Spruce. No, no. Bridge um, Bridge city. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bridge City made one like in the '90s, I think, um, and I've I've seen them on walls in the in the past. But that's one thing that I love about a 3D printer, CNC or whatever is like you start to see a need for something, and you don't just want that thing anymore. You immediately start going, how do I make that thing? And as you're doing the thing while you're wishing you had that thing, you start to make the, the thing. you start to make the math and, and then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, let me just CAD that up real quick and tell my robot to make this thing while I'm doing something else. And <laughs> most of the time that CAD session is uh and for, for those who don't know, CAD is computer-aided design. So the, the program that you're using on the computer. Honestly, I am like I'm actually I'm pretty good with cat. But um I just run in and I get it done. That's a 20 minute thing. And then my robot is doing the thing for an hour, 2 hours, 3 hours. I don't I don't care. I'm doing something else. Um so you know, I sit there and I see the need. I wish I could take a bevel gauge and transfer this angle off of this set of plans perfectly. I don't want to measure the angle. I don't. I just want to transfer that angle. So I made a bevel gauge where both sides touch that one plane, and I print it up, and I'm good to go. Um, in the past, that would have required me going to maybe uh, uh, Staples would maybe have something like that for for drafting plans, but it's not going to meet at a at a at a point. It's not going to, you know, there's there's, there's no way of going and getting that thing. But you see a need, you fill the need within the afternoon. And that's, I've made countless little tools that just make my life easier. And, yeah, I spend time doing it, but I enjoy it too. So that's part of my hobby.
2: Well, that's fun. So I'm interested in, uh, you were mentioning CAD, CAD programming. Yeah. How do you feel that using 3D or rather, you know, 3d, um, design tools. Has that changed your woodworking? Has that changed your, has it made you more skilled in some ways, more perceptive? I'm curious how it's affected your, your work. So I
1: always, it's funny because you, you had brought up like the, the precision of these tools and the programs and everything. And I always equate precision with, um, real-world measurements and reality and repeatability, though. And um, I think that my, my my brain has had to switch a little bit out of woodworking and into engineering world. I use Fusion 360 uh, for my CAD program, which it can be a overwhelmingly complicated program. But it can be incredibly simple, too, and used as, like, just... Draw a box. I want the box to be this big by this big, and I want a circle around it, and have it be this big by this big, or, or whatever. You know. Um, do I think it's made me a better woodworker? No. I feel like most of my woodworking habits are now cemented. Um, you know, where like you know, exact is more important than than precise you know as long as the pieces are flush or whatever like i don't care if the drawer pocket is 16 and a half inches make the drawer pocket make the drawer fit the drawer pocket or whatever um but when i use it for jigs there's something about you know i have a jig that holds my ukulele tops or my bottoms And I have pins that are 370 millimeters apart. That is the only measurement I know on my ukuleles. Like, I I literally have no idea what any other measurement is. And just because those pins register all the other things I do around that ukulele in a digital fashion. So it's like... Yes, there are absolutely like very, very precise measurements that happen, but it's no different than woodworking where it's like, what are the important measurements? Well, the important right. measurement is the one before me and that jig that, it, or that workboard that I made has pins that are 370 millimeters apart. So from here on out, they're all going to be 370 millimeters apart. And that's all that
0: matters to me. Okay. Cause that's one thing that I, I was that wondering. Question. <laughs> no, <you're>, that's fine. <laughs> there are no answers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's kind of one, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is because, and you gave it a good start there, Ben, is a lot of our woodworking has a basic parameter, like a bookcase needs to fit in this particular part of the, sh- of the wall. But after that, you're building to fit. However, as soon as you start doing something on a CNC, as Chris alluded to earlier, all of a sudden numbers become extremely important in the design of something or whether it's 3d printed or cut on a cnc it's just not going to work out so like chris how do you balance those two how do you keep those two things in your hands at the same time
2: well i think i think one of the you know we talk about cad or using cnc machines It, it can be a prison you know you can lose your freedom with a machine like that pretty easily i mean if that's the right way to put it and i think i think that i mean for me it's you need to realize what getting back to what ben said i mean obviously some things are important and some things don't matter and i think it's it's i don't really enjoy designing something completely all the way through and then feeling trapped like i have to build that design i think for me it's designed enough to get started on and just let the process roll and if things need to change they change and I'm not going to worry about it that much but I don't want to feel trapped by it I think I think when we lose that freedom when we become a prisoner that that that's a bad thing that's a bad part of uh, electronic woodworking
1: what do you what do you design what CAD program do you use
2: oh, we use uh, Autodesk Inventor so it's a okay. uh, very much like like fusion 360 and I probably use five percent of it, and the rest I'm really not sure what it does, to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's about piping and electrical things and all that, and welding. Uh, so we actually use very little of it. Also, I also had some fun with uh, with Atom, Adam, which is a simpler simpler program, but it's uh, you know they're all they all have the advantage of just helping helping you conceptualize. Yeah. And maybe that's what I was alluding to. And how does it how does how does a CAD program help or? uh, change your woodworking. I think it, for me at least, it, it's just a, it helps me conceptualize the idea of a jig, a tool, a part that would be otherwise difficult. And it forces me to confront reality. I mean, I can draw really cool things on a legal pad, but are they, are they really going to work out? Eh, sometimes, sometimes not. But when I hit that CAD program, I got to make the tough decisions. And, and so it, it's a case of, uh, yeah, it's a case of uh, uh, having to make the decisions, confronting the reality. But but yeah, it's, it's you got to really find that balance, don't you? The uh, there's a, there's a beauty in just a, a pencil line and a bandsaw cut,
1: mm-hmm.
2: as well as a beauty to a precise CNC cut.
1: So one one thing that I think that digital woodworking though does help, especially in the, in the design sense, is. Changes cost nothing, oh yeah right and um <clears throat> i don't know if inventor had, you know uh if it is uh but fusion if used in a in a particular way um and for the listeners fusion uh three sixty you can get a personal license for free it's it's a free program um parametric uh modeling is a big part of fusion where um if you do it right, and this is what I have struggled with, I used to be a whiz at SketchUp. I could sketch up that thing over in the corner in 20 minutes. And um, Fusion, there, there was a learning curve, and it was it was learning how to use it in a parametric sense. But that's what made it so powerful. Where I want this piece of this hole to be offset from this side x amount, right? And when you put it in, you say one inch. Um, but then later on, you can get a, like a little spreadsheet of your measurements, and you can say, "Wait a minute, I you know what? The dowels I got at the hardware store are undersized. They're not an inch. They're they're undersized by twenty thou or twenty. You, and we've all been there. So you do a test piece, and you tell your you, you you fit it and it doesn't work so then you just punch into the computer all of those holes they're not an inch make them one inch thousandths. and for the record for your audience i am i'm imperial right now and this is a struggle <laughs> <laughs> but, um but like that's the beauty of parametric design where all of these changes are so so simple i mean this is I just grabbed a thing that's right in front of me, but this little thing, and especially with the 3D printer, I hit print and it is printed in 45 minutes and I can look at it and I can measure it and I can put it on the thing. And if it's not right, I am out 28 cents maybe. at This thing, 15 cents. Um, And there's no... There's no barrier to making the design change, to making the thing a little bit better. And when you're working strictly analog, there's more time put into every iteration. And I think that keeps you, that becomes part of the math. I keep talking about math, but that becomes part of what you think about. Like, ah, do I really want to go through making another mock-up? Well,
0: right. Or do you even do the mock-up and just jump right and just into build.
1: it? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I guess that would be the one thing that I would think would probably change people as a woodworker is maybe feeling like they have the opportunity to take some of those early iterative steps
2: mm.
0: without, like you said, Ben, costing anything rather than... Because I think there's all of us have a desire at some point to just like, I'm just going to start building and you just kind of jump in and you're cutting wood and putting stuff together. And at that point you're kind of committed to it or it's in the burn pile. How do you do it,
1: Phil? I mean, like when you're, because you have to, both of you have to do things to, when you build something, many times it's being built by once you're done by thousands of people after you. Right. And so you can't, you can't just wing it really, right?
0: No. And thankfully we have people like Chris and John and Dylan who run through the kind of the design process on it. And, you know, they'll have meetings and have meetings with the editors on, you know, what, what needs to, what kind of needs the project needs to serve has mm-hmm. to, or has to fulfill. Uh, but then we also like Mark and Steve, that's the noise you hear in the background, building a project where they're in the middle of taking Chris's drawings for a 10 drawer dresser. And no doubt later today, they're going to come to him and tell him something that they think should be a little bit different on it. And then he goes back and alters the drawings on it. And in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done some personal projects and done them on the show or on video and yeah it's been a little bit of a stumbling thing because you kind of just get through it and then afterwards you have to kind of go back and, and re- yeah and you know, wish falsif- you could
1: build it again yeah right
0: falsify your results just to make it look like it matched you
2: know? i
1: can't tell you how many falsified results we have and the- yeah yeah where it's like i should have done this yes yeah yeah yeah
2: but that yeah. but that's kind of the beauty of the process that we're talking about is that it's very organic you know we we have those files we can make changes we can yeah. create one new part and it's not a huge commitment in time at that point because we've got the documentation down uh you know there are too many projects where you start and you know it's not right, but you just keep going, you keep going because you just don't want to rebuild everything because there's some some rotten part that you had to drill five holes, scroll saw between, spend you know a long time sanding, sanding, sanding. And it's just like, no, I'm not gonna do that again. So you put up with what's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Unfortunately, yeah. we don't always have to do that. So I, I think that's one thing I would bring out about all this, it, 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 it makes the process of developing something new, whether it's a tool or a piece of furniture, an organic process.
1: Do, do you ever find yourself, uh, cause I do this. And now again, most of what I do is for personal reasons. There's no, it's not being broadcast outside of Instagram, but, um, I will, I will make the thing and then say, Oh, there's, there's one little change and I'll, I'll make the change in CAD and never, never print it or CNC it or never, because the one, the, 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 the penultimate version was just fine and it'll get me through what I needed to do, but Mm. I have to go back in and change it just in case.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because you know, it could be better. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that, I mean, we do that too, where we'll build a project and in the use of the project after it gets built and we know we're photographing it or something like that, we'll be like, eh, you know, this, pivot point could actually be better if it was another three quarter of an inch over. Mm -hmm. And we'll change that in the file and then in the drawings that go in the magazine. But the project doesn't get rebuilt because, you know, from six feet away, nobody's going to know three quarter of an inch, you know, so functionally there's that difference. So that kind of leads me to, you know, with uh, regular woodworking, for lack of a better word, You know, you make templates for projects uh, and patterns and stuff like that. And you get done with the project and you're kind of faced with the, do I keep these in case I ever make it again or what, and then where do you store them? And, you know, that kind of thing. But in the kind of tools that we're looking at, you get to keep that all the time and you don't have to worry about where it goes.
1: I've 3D printed stuff. Um, I have gotten to the point where if it's a – I use different colors for printing. Um, My uh, my instrument jigs are generally printed in red filament, and um, those go in a drawer. um, And then if I do an iteration – You know, I just I because if I can just pull the thing out of the drawer and use it, I want to do that. I don't necessarily want to print all my jigs again as I'm going. Um, And also, I am likely going to build, you know, I build a very particular instrument. I build baritone ukuleles and I'm likely going to build another 50 of them before I die. You know, so some of the things make sense to have on hand to build that same exact size and the same exact thing. But, yeah, one thing I love is that it's like, you know, you don't have all of the things with keep written all over them, that little piece of, like, white pine with, like, weird two kerfs in it, and you're like, keep, and then three years later you have no idea why. why,
2: Yeah. You know?
1: (laughs) So That kind
2: of affects shop decor when you don't have nails or things hanging on them all over the place. Sort of the clean screen type uh, deal only for a workshop.
1: Good and bad. Because sometimes those – those leg templates on, on people's walls are just too photographic for, for to handle, you know?
0: Thank you to tight bond. You want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately tight bond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence from interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance. Look to tight bond the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit Tightbond.com. So this is what I'm wondering, because I I mean, there's a there's a perception that digital woodworking is just kind of pushing a button and cabinet comes out the other end or whatever. Uh, And both of you in the past, you know, pre 3D printers, pre CNC have been kind of building jigs and building tools to go. Have you seen how these digital tools have allowed you to become even more of a tool maker in a certain sense?
2: I think the fact that I can work with different materials more easily. I mean, I think what a revelatory moment for me was years ago in Shop Notes, we were doing a, um, a shoulder plane, double dovetail. And I'd made like two prototypes, two final versions, a set of sides for a photography. And the, and the, the art director said, well, I need another set of sides. It's just like, no, I'm not going to cut another, I'm not going to do this again. My hands hurt. The files are dull. No, no, no. And so I didn't really know anything about cutting metal, but I fired up our, our little ShopBot desktop we have and I cut them out. It worked somehow. And it was like, you know, the light from above came down because this was a an amazing way to create that prototype, to create part of a tool which would have been a, a considerable amount of time and effort for me. So, you know, it's 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 nice to think about sitting in that perfect New England shop with the birds outside and the deer in the pasture. But you know what? It's reality is there's only so much time, so much effort, so bang. much of everything. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if I can if I can make that beautiful hand plane I always wanted with a little bit of help, why not? Because it's going to happen. Yeah.
1: It's uh there there's a nobody cares how outside of the craftsperson nobody cares how the thing is made, right? Right. Like it doesn't make it more anything, more beautiful, more usable or functional. It doesn't make it more anything outside uh, how how it was made. So the calculation that you have to make is Am I making this more than once? Am I making this to do a certain thing? It, you know, but if if you want to make a jig that you're going to use over and over and over, and maybe want to tweak, and that's where the that's where everything gets gets smart, gets f- more efficient, is when you tweak it. You just load it up. You load up another sheet on the CNC and you cut it out again. And you got another thing with a little bit of a a difference, but, um, that hand plane doesn't function better or worse based on whether it was the sides were caught in a CNC or not. So, um, I will never hold it against anyone for not wanting to use a CNC if that's not the way that they enjoy their, their shop time. Right. Right. Um, this, the same way I hear all the time. People say like, well, I sit and stare at a computer all day and I don't want to do that. And I, and I totally understand that. But for me, when I'm like digging into a a fusion thing on CAD, I am, my brain is working the same exact way as it is when I am taking one last shaving with my number three or like just trying to get like, you know, sometimes I'm. I'm truing up a board and trying to get that perfectly straight edge, you know, with a hand plane or whatever. And my brain functions this way, but when I am in Fusion or CAD or SketchUp or whatever, my I, I have the same feeling of enjoyment of my shop time. Now, I work from home in this seat, and I CAD in this seat, I'm in my personal <laughs> shop, right? But, uh, so there, there generally is like four thirty five o'clock comes, like I walk around and I do some other stuff. I go inside, check on the family and then I come back out and it's like kind of a reset moment for me. I do switch computers. I, I, I have, like, but, um, my, my kind of like
0: a, like a Mr. Rogers kind of thing. You unzip um, <laughs> the cardigan and you take off the shoes. And...
1: It's the same screen, but They're I just all... hit a button and I hit a button. It's like, that's Oh, funny. It that's funny. That's funny. Desktop. Um, but, uh, it is, it's for me, the same enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong with me enjoying my screen time in a different way. Same way there's nothing wrong with, you know, somebody flattening a board with a hand plane. And I think that's kind of weird, you know? So it's just however you enjoy your shop time, enjoy your shop time.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I also feel like there's uh, two different sorts of people, broadly speaking, that are getting into digital woodworking. You have somebody who is a woodworker Mm -hmm. who sees it as a woodworking tool and comes into it. So I feel like the obstacle then is the software part of it. But then you have the people who are in front of a screen every day. They grew up in front of screens. Their work is that way. They think in in terms of functionality and parameters and that kind of stuff. So the software comes easy. It's the tool part. That's hard. Yeah. You know, so it's more of like a perspective change, I guess, you know, and I,
1: think- I, I, they're always at odds. I, I don't know if, if you, if you at Woodsmith have, and shop Notes have the same, um, I'm sure we share an audience demographic, uh, with fine woodworking, but we have a lot of engineers um, you know, people are are day job engineers and then at night they go out to the wood shop and uh we had a class uh that we did with with Pekovich and um we had a lot of engineers in the in the online class and um or in that cohort and they kept asking specific like how many thousands blah blah and and mike is not that he's like are you blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, 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 no. like 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 he doesn't like measuring it like like numbers drive him nuts but eventually he just like sucked it up and 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 somebody said when you tap your your table saw fence how far is it moving and so he did like he was like D- that's it i'm just gonna i'm kind of i'm gonna cut and measure i'm gonna cut and measure and he goes it's about two thousandths every tap and and some people need to know, oh, I just saw him tap his fence three times. It probably moved around six thousandths of an inch. I wish I knew it was six thousandths of an inch. You know, um, <laughs> so but I think the, the point that I'm getting at is for me, I, I, I don't think I'm as precise as, as Chris's. My, my job at the end of the day is to make an ukulele that plays and sounds good and um that's what matters most to me um precision is great yes i want the joints i want that neck joint to fit perfectly i don't want there to be a gap because that hurts my soul um but and i use 3d printed jigs to make to make that happen um so uh i want i want gapless i want perfect i want it to be nice but the exact precision doesn't matter to me as much. Um, but the, the I think all of it to say, I, I generally come at it from the more organic side and have learned to use the precise numbers when they benefit. Uh, this is a little jig I made that um, I'm holding it up and the audio-only audience is annoyed at me. Um, <laughs> but... It's a little jig I made just to clamp um, some stringings, five pieces of stringing together to make uh, uh, a rosette and an ukulele. And yes, it is, the gap is 2.7 millimeters. And, but that's only because I measured five pieces of stringing and the computer needs a number. Like, right. It has to have a number. You can't go about this big. It needs a number. So the only reason it's 2.7 millimeters and I'm not exact with it is because that's what the thing was. So the gap still equals the stringing. I just have to tell the computer a number to translate it. So there, there is precision involved, but it is the, the important part is still that it's exact and fits. Exact is not precise and precise is... Ex- this is, yeah, weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: no, definitions get a little, little weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: No, it's interesting. You mentioned you mentioned the engineers and so forth. So you know, there's in this world there are very analytical people where everything has to be just so, or they explode. And then you've got the you know more laid back, or, you know yeah, make it fit, whatever. And and I think that you know it's, I find myself being both people, which you know maybe that's a need for therapy. I don't know, but. You know when i when i do my wood carving and so forth i don't want to know numbers i don't care it either looks right or it doesn't look right and of course at other times with tool making i want precision and i think it's it but it's sort of a, a question of how how does each group view digital woodworking then would do the engineers look at it as my god us would you do it and it's, yeah. it's 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 wonderful because it is precise uh is it an anathema to the creative types or just? It is what it is, what it is, when Fusion 360 is not that way, as you know. Yeah. Inventor isn't that way. I, I wish it would be kind of, you know, a, yeah, whatever type program, and it's not. You have to put that number in. So it is It is a different approach. And, but it's and also a little,
0: I mean, you also have to understand, I mean, like you said, Ben, you have to put a number in, but to an extent, the number doesn't really matter. You're just putting in a number because it needs one you know, and you were going for specific fit because you had the, you know, the size of your stringing. But
2: you well, know, there's and other,
0: I, other details you could make where you just put a number in and it is what it is. It doesn't have to be, you know, six radians off of whatever.
1: I, I One thing, though, that I do love about, like, that stringing example is I wanted the stringing to terminate to just stop, right? And five piece stringing, you know, um, in a federal card table, I don't know if I've seen five piece stringing in a federal card table, but three piece stringing or something like that will rarely just stop. It'll stop. And then there'll be a little dot inlaid over the end of it, right? To cover up that termination because it's really, really hard to get something to just to get three things to just stop. When you're putting it, it them in good. individually, yes, and, yep. and have it be on. Um, my, my creativity wanted it to just stop, and the woodworker said, well, you can't because <laughs> cause, cause you're going to fit each piece in individually, and they're not going to go together perfect. It's never going to go in perfect. And then the digital mind of me said, well, wait, if I make a bent lamination of those five pieces, I could just cut it off at one spot. Now I, now I got to nail one chisel cut. I don't need to nail five, just one. And I was able to do that easier. I, I, I could have done that with other methods. I was able to do that without leaving my house because I, w- I had the thing in CAD and I said, oh, let me just print this thing and boom, 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 boom. An hour later, I'm there. Um, so I think that the precision can make you a more creative person and allow you to release yourself from constraints. Yes, sometimes it is a, a jail cell. Um, and sometimes you, you start to think outside of your teachings. Um, could Steve Latta have done five pieces of stringing and nailed the termination at the end. Yes, I'm not going to be the first one to say Ben Strano is no Steve Latta, okay?
0: But Steve Latta more likely to have a 2.7 millimeter chisel to nail the chisel cut than you are.
1: I, I, I do have a 2.5 millimeter
0: chisel. <laughs> he threw you a line there. He threw a <laughs> line, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, this is a much more prosaic example, but uh, I had Chris uh, create a CNC uh, router bit storage rack for a tool cart that we did on the TV show, and I needed a, a variety of holes for uh, quarter-inch bits, half-inch bits. I have a couple of 3 eighths shank and some 5-16 shank bits, and whatever, and for people who have made router bit storage racks, you can't drill the hole at a half inch and a quarter of an inch because you'll never get the bit out. And if you do, probably in there you've sliced up one, of, one or more of your fingers when it's, you know. So you want that hole just that much bigger than a quarter and a half. Quarter inch bit, you know, just a bit larger than a quarter of an inch, you can find that half inch bit now you're looking around all over the place but chris was able to say well i mean it's just a couple of thousandths over and then you just use the cnc to make it and now i have those bits that just drop in right where they need to i can pull them out without you know needing a tuba bit, you know neosporin or something like that and and there you go
1: i've i've actually so i have a um for nut files, uh, which, you know, very precise gauged files for the, the string nut on a string instrument, um, I wanted to make a little rack. And this was one of my, like, oh, how complicated can I make this fusion project? So I, I made the thing so that you type in how many files you have and the size of each file, and it just makes the thing. Um, oh. Like like parametric beyond Reasonable, uh, but it was it was like my it was like a Saturday morning like ooh this is gonna be fun let's dig into this because yeah. I'm a dork and but one of my parameters was slop, you know so I figured out how much slop I needed in the 3D print to make the file come in and out easily and then you know I I even just used that as a perimeter where it's like each each slot is uh, twenty twenty four thousandths plus slop. And, uh, and so that winds up being, I don't remember what it was, but it, it, yeah, that's a, the slop aspect is a fun thing to program in.
0: There you go. I feel like, you know, having that software element for digital woodworking also gives you the time to have, or the opportunity to have shop time when you can't have shop time, you know, uh, you're sick and just kind of need to lay on the couch and whatever, but laptop or your tablet and your software program, and you're still getting a little shop time in there.
2: Yeah. Well, it's definitely the sketch pad or the legal, the legal pad for our times to be able to work yeah.
1: with the, uh, work in we can. I, I, that's one thing soon. I need to get a laptop because you know, my son will be in the living room. My wife's in her studio, and but they're still close-ish. And I feel like me out in the separate building, even though I'm you know a hundred feet away, it's it's there's there is a point in the day where I wish I was just in the house and sure. hearing them. And I totally feel like if I had a a laptop to do CAD to do Fusion on, I would I would use it for that a lot to be in the element at least.
0: Sure. I mean, do you also? true confession time do you use yeah. some of the software tools because of our work from home situation that you can have shop time in the middle of a meeting <laughs> <laughs> no i do well
1: <laughs> i mean i i work in my shop so so right i right. like like if if we have like an all hands meeting or something like that and I can turn my video off. I am walking around cleaning my shop while I'm in that meeting. So that's the best use of shop to, of, of meeting time. I'm sorry. meeting time. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. We had a all company meeting here and I was in the video studio and we had one of our monitors on the, on the meeting. And it was just the presentation from, you know, the C-level folk. And so all of us were muted and cameras off and kind of a thing so i was you know listening and participating in the meeting as i needed to but finishing up a little narrow narrow belt sander from tv show props and working on another tv show thing and sharpened a couple of my tools and so that's work that's work that's work that counts yeah professional development is how i look at it there you (laughs) go there
1: you go yeah and we that's another thing you know i'll i'll you know, uh, it's I'm very lucky. You know, we got the CNC down at the shop or something like that, and it's like somebody's got to figure it out. So, oh no, I have to cut out a bunch of ukulele forms or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's research. It's, it counts. It's, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm working. Uh, you know, well, tough yeah. it out. Tough it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, yeah. fun fact: the uh, manual that you were looking at for the Next Wave machine, there, Chris was the architect
2: of that bad boy.
1: Oh, it was good.
2: Well, God, I'm glad to hear that.
1: That's great. All right, that was a good. Yeah. Now, t- i I want to know more about because I've been watching your Thursday. Is Thursdays the shop updates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know more about the CNC I'm going to build, though, because okay. I want I want to be able to build a C. I like I have very specific size CNC, so I'm going to have to build it.
2: Cool project.
1: What's happening? I I I just like threw it over to a Ford promo for you, Phil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what's really funny is that Chris and I are in the same building, just different rooms here, and in in between where we are is our photo studio, and we have the new CNC machine is getting uh, prettyified for its photography. So uh, I think Chris got it. I think you got all the. All of the electrical innards in it right mm-hmm. yesterday
2: yes so i'm just trying to uh kind of make the final connection between the uh, machine itself and the software it's a new software i haven't used, used before so the configuring of the machine takes a little bit of a bit of time so i'm stumbling my way through but it'll be up and running here
1: okay so will, will people be able to build it without a cnc is my question
2: of course that's, like, that's like is the, it
1: that workbench project that you need a workbench to build? <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell
2: you, now, now, truth be told, truth be told, we did make a couple of parts using one of our CNC's here just to speed things along. But the point of the whole project is to be able to use an average shop and average skills, yet produce a precision machine. And it's very doable. And it's really just a matter of, you know, we talked earlier about... Uh, about what is precision, and about just not being too uh, held prisoner by a set of plans or expectations of things. So, as you work along, you're really creating the precision necessary for the machine by working to the project itself. Okay. As an example, setting uh, you know the motors and the lead screws need to be in a precise location. Well, everything has a bracket with oversized holes, and we're able to just move parts around and have it and have it. Go, things go into the place they need to go because it's engaging with the other parts, with the balance of the machine. So it's very much meant to be a project which anyone can do.
0: Yeah, and I thought what was kind of interesting in seeing this one getting made was uh, you were designing it, Mark was building it, and you had kind of thought that you would use one of our CNC machines behind you to cut out some parts. But Mark was working so fast, he was actually cutting those parts. So we didn't need the CNC for some of them that he was going along. It's very much a kind of a cut and paste. You know, there were those we had when I was in college one year for finals as a stress reliever. One of those paper model books where you cut out all these little different layers of airplane models glued them all together in a lamination and then we flew them outside in the the plaza in between exams and that's how I feel like the CNC machine is you just cut out these pieces you glue them together or screw them together and it's you know there's no complicated joinery on this thing it's mostly plywood rectangles or you know the shapes of some parts are only there just to provide clearance there's nothing precise about them or whatever. You could change the shape of it if you wanted to. Um, but yeah. And then to watch Mark be able to take it and have the gantry that kind of like juddered its way down the line. And then all of a sudden he made like three adjustments and then you could just push it back and forth with the finger, you
2: know.
1: So and and the rails are all just 90 degree aluminum extrusion, huh?
2: Yeah, that, that's correct. It runs on uh, so there's V bearings which run on the, uh, the corner than the outside corner SM60-61 aluminum. And that's all there is to it. But it uh, we've done this, we've had machines uh, a couple of them running for many years, and it works well, wears well. Part of the precision that we're getting in a homemade machine with simple bearings uh, is by we're able to preload and put some pressure on everything through some cams. So rather than having things rattle, you use a cam. It pushes the bearing against the rail, and you've got a forces in opposition, and everything just smooths out. And it's, it's easy to adjust.
1: Hmm.
2: Because part of, the, part of the reason for, part of my, why I wanted to build a machine. I mean, obviously it's a good, you know, nerd project, and it's fun. But, two things. Machines, these CNC machines can be very expensive. Prohibitively expensive. And what's the fun of that? It's not fun. I wanted to make a machine that was a a small D democratic CNC router that anyone could build with a reasonable amount of money. And so we talk about V bearings and plywood. These are all simple materials and not that pricey, but who wants a junky machine? You want something that's, you know, the ideal is cheap, easy to build and great running. And that's the challenge of it. And I think we've done a pretty good job hitting that.
1: Well, I like, so I have, um, over here like you know shop storage you know nuts and bolts hardware and the top of it is would be the perfect size if it were a cnc deck and um and on top of that i have a gobar deck which is uh for you know for clamping things on a flat surface of a ukulele uh using sticks as clamps and you have to have the thing to pry the stick up to and i'm just sitting here thinking like that would be the perfect size to build a cnc On that on that counter, and then I could just move the gantry over, and keep my go bar deck on top, suspended from the ceiling, and use it for a for two purposes. You know, but um, Mm -hmm. there's so many times that I wish because one you know I I preach about 3D printing so much, but um, one huge aspect, and as you know, Chris is. The size my um my 3d printer i just got a new one uh it's 250 by 250 millimeters so um like uh, nine and a half inches by nine and a half inches and there's so many times that uh the thing ain't gonna fit there you know so Mm -hmm. um that's where having a cnc sitting right there is is exciting and i i'm not joking i am eagerly anticipating the shop notes coming out and i'm going to be taking notes and um probably probably building one so
2: excellent well, that would be super uh, you know it is it is a super cool project and you know you mentioned just the, the format size you know these desktop cnc routers are fun but you can only do so much and having that extra capacity is a big deal and so building it yourself hey you, you get plenty of capacity and and then you know
1: how it goes together. So if at one point you need to make it smaller or you need to make it bigger, you just do that,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the structure is very flexible. I mean, I've got a, it. Ours is designed for a 25 by 49 inch uh, format right now. But you want to shrink it a little bit, eh, no problem. Yeah. Or, or make it a little longer, a little shorter. There really isn't that much to change. It's just, you know, hacking some parts a little shorter.
1: And updates in the programming?
2: No, I mean, that, that's all going to, that'll, that'll remain the same.
1: Okay. All right. So so it has end stops and or, uh, all that stuff. So if, if the rails are different, because the, the brain works is, is where I get weird about building a thing.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, mentioned the uh, you know, things like limiting switches and such. This is just a very basic machine. Okay. And if you want to add limit switches and that sort of thing, and if you want to go ahead and program the soft limits and all that good stuff, you can but uh, the machine itself, it's meant, to be, it's meant to be something that's accessible for anybody. So I didn't want to go off the deep end yeah. with, uh, with too many things. We just want something that's very, very basic. Hardworking, rugged, and it does fulfill that. And then if you want to add blitz add add, it up, that's just fine. I am all for it. <laughs> Racing stripes, uh, metallic paint. Uh, I think I've always wanted like a flashing yellow light when it's in use. You know, like yeah. uh, like like forklifts have and things like that. No backup <laughs> alarm, but no. Oh, yeah, that yeah, would
0: yeah, be yeah. awesome. Just a little yellow light
2: just swirling around on it as yeah, a, oh, totally. yeah, yeah. That would be. And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking some background music that plays as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because CNCs don't make enough noise as it is. <laughs> 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 that is
2: Perfect.
1: that is that is one thing that uh, I wish was different. Is like there is just that drone that goes on with the CNC and and you do need some good hearing protection, so.
2: Yeah, that, that's for sure. I, uh, you know, I keep my pet dog in here and uh, they're a little too far for me to reach, but you know what? I've got dog hearing protectors because it's I that keep loud. wanting
1: to get some fur in here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good.
0: I And I was surprised, like Nicholas takes it too. Like he, I totally expected you to put those on and he to be like rubbing them off or something, mm-hmm. but he just. He sat there, he took it just fine.
2: No, he's so. he's working on his, um, you know, his status as the uh, woodsmith dog here.
0: Okay. <laughs> shop dog. Yeah. And We're getting everybody an official bandana. Yeah. Everybody needs shop dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, there you we go. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks about today's episode, you can leave them on the YouTube channel in the comments section, or you can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. As we alluded to, got an upcoming issue of Shop Notes Magazine with part one of our CNC build. One of the big things on it is uh, this version, you can tile pieces, so it's it's, uh, two feet wide, but... 690 feet long is the pieces that you can deal with on there. So uh, the other thing is that it's got a vertical clamping feature so that you can deal with end grain or vertically held pieces and machine the end of them there. So uh, the previous version of our CNC machine is still in use in the shop, and Chris has routed a ridiculous amount of aluminum and brass on it. And... It does its job extremely well, so you want to keep an eye out for that. Thanks to Titebond for sponsoring today's episode. Check out their full line of glues; we rely on them here all the time at Woodsmith, and you can see it at Titebond.com. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ben.